want to remind you before we get started the TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner of Purple Insider and the Blue Wire Network. TickPick should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging service fees ever. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and joining me for a little L.A. perspective, Ryan Dyrude. Uh, he runs the L.A. Football Network, uh, which basically, Ryan, you're kind of like me of L.A. I don't know if you're like cooler because of that or more hip <laughs> because you're the L.A. football guy. Well, you instead of one team like I cover, you cover uh, all the LA football teams, but what you've built with the LA football network uh, is very cool. And you apparently you guys have hats. We don't have hats yet. Oh, I think you'll get some. Cause I think, I think you're cooler than me. So I, I think the LA football network is cool, but you are probably cooler than me, but uh, Matthew excited to be on. Uh, I've had you on my show uh, to preview. It's kind of ironic. The, the Vikings played the chargers earlier in the season, a team we cover and now the Rams travel to Minnesota to play you guys. So it's fun that we get to do this both times. So thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. And you have some Minnesota roots, uh, but you're not stopping by. I mean, the weather is great this uh, time of year compared to LA. Yeah, It's funny because I actually love going to cold for Christmas. I'm actually in Denver right now, ironically, where my parents live. I uh, just got in today, but it's, it's nice sometimes to get seven days of frigid cold temperatures and then go back to the 65 and sunny, but it's a nice break. But, but yeah, roots there. Grandparents live up in, you know, Fergus falls up in the, in the lake area and, I have friends in St. Louis Park down in the, the Minneapolis Twin City area. So I love Minnesota. Always we're out, we're out there at least once a year, which is great. So does this make you familiar, I guess, then with uh, Viking fan mentality? I'm just going to have you guess. I'm going to have you guess here. We'll see how good of a Minnesotan are you because uh, or uh, Minnesota, how connected are you to Minnesota? Because how do you think uh, Vikings fans believe their final three games will play out? They play the Rams the Packers and the bears in the final three weeks. Okay. And if they go two and one, they have a mm-hmm. decent shot at making the playoffs. How do you think that plays out uh, from Minnesota Vikings view? Like, how do you think fans think it's going to go? So I'm not, I'm not super connected. I'll be honest, but I'm going to, I'm going to go out of the limb here. I think Viking fans, if I were guessing are probably more like my childhood team fans, which are Denver Bronco fans that every year, the sky is falling. If you're not winning every game by 40 points, the coach needs to be fired or whatnot. So I could be wrong, but I feel like Minnesota fans probably think the season's a wash time to get Zimmer out of there, move on and and start fresh with the whole new thing. (laughs) Well, am I wrong or am uh, I right? No, you're right about that. But for how these final three games are going to go, Vikings fans probably believe that they will win one of the two games here that they'll either beat the Rams or they'll beat the Packers, the hard games, and then we'll mm-hmm. lose week 18 and have that ruin their chances. That's mm-hmm. that. And then, and then lose on a technicality or on the, well, whatever, you know, the, the tiebreakers of some yeah. ridiculous, absurd fifth tiebreaker to new Orleans or something like that's, that's how the Minnesota Vikings fans are thinking. But to your point though, about changing coaches, uh, yes, that hot seat conversation is extremely <laughs> real. Mike Zimmer, though, today said that he was not aware of that conversation at all. But uh, we have gotten to the point, and I think there's a connection here with the Chargers. I don't know that there's one with the Rams, but maybe it'd be like the Jeff Fisher Rams, where mm-hmm. you're in the hunt, you're in the race, 
you're going along okay, but eventually it just kind of falls off and you end up in the middle all the time and you need your McVay or you need your Goff, which is your quarterback on your rookie contract or your Herbert uh, if we're talking mm-hmm. about the Chargers. And that's kind of how it feels like it is where it's not that there's anything wrong with the coach necessarily that he's a good coach. Uh, and it's not like your quarterback is horrendous or anything like that. It's a good quarterback, but mm-hmm. we've been doing this for so long. Anthony Lynn, maybe a, a, you know, a connection here that it, when it doesn't work for this long, you just have to do something different. Yeah. It's, you know, it reminds me again, going back to my Denver roots, uh, Nuggets basketball when George Carl was the coach here. And it's a little different because the Nuggets made the playoffs like nine straight years, but they could never get out of the first round. Like I remember one year playing the Minnesota Timberwolves who were the one seed, Nuggets were the eighth seed. And then after that, the Nuggets started getting better and better. And George Carl could always do stuff in the regular season, couldn't get past that first round. So then they end up firing him for that same mentality, right? Just like, okay, you know, we're, we're good. We're not great. We want to be great. We're going to move on. Still haven't been great, so they still haven't figured that out. <laughs> Regardless, the NBA is a whole different animal just because of the super team and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it seems like the Vikings are just in that limbo. I, I was talking with you last time about how I feel like every offseason I pick the Vikings to be with this dark horse NFC team to kind of surprise people and come out of the NFC North and and really be a, a team to be reckoned with. And every year, like you said, they they have some great games. They have some really bad games. They always finish right around the middle. They're always drafted in the middle, so they don't get that top-tier prospect. So it's, it's like that Mike Zimmer, I don't think is a bad coach. I think he's a great defensive mind. You know, Clint Kubiak, I think is an exciting young offensive, you know, coordinator, but it just doesn't seem like they're quite getting over the hump. Obviously, you know, more than me, but yeah, they're, they're just in that limbo stage, which unfortunately sometimes you just need to make a change. Right. And this is uh, where we transition to your team and I don't make you uh, talk um, and give all your Vikings takes, but (laughs) now (laughs) the, the Rams are trying to go for something different. They're trying Mm -hmm. to go for the approach of, Let's push all the chips to the middle of the table. They even tweeted out a GIF uh, after they traded for Von Miller of the sort and say, you know what? Who needs future draft capital? Because we're going to try to win this year. And I have been critical of this approach because I saw it with my eyeballs a couple of years ago with the Vikings, where they said, we're Mm going to bring in cousins. We're going to pay everybody else to stick around. And, and they even did this trading a first round pick for Sam Bradford. We're a Super Bowl team. We're going to trade a first for Sam Bradford, and he's going to get us uh, to where we want to go with this great roster. And the, the couple of times that the Vikings have made, quote, all in type of moves, they have ended up with four straight years of no division titles. And I think that mm-hmm. you have really uh, gone on this roller coaster ride with Los Angeles of at the beginning of the year, look, out, look, it's working, everyone. Oh, my gosh. And then. Oh no, it's not working. And and here you are kind of coming up on the other side. So I guess your assessment of, is it right? And is it working to have taken this approach to try to build an all-star team pretty much for this year? Yeah. You know, it's, it's fun covering the Rams because there's never a dull moment ever. Like, you know, Super Bowl goes, it's, we're in the dead period before free agency and all of a sudden trade for Matthew Stafford when everyone's in Cabo. And then, you know, uh, free agency, there's always a big signing. They always are trading. So they're always in the news. So they're fun to cover, but it's a fun approach. It's, you know, it's, I can't say it's not working because McVay has yet to have a losing season now, five straight winning seasons as a head coach, just five years as a head coach. Um, into one Super Bowl. So in a sense, it works because they've kind of been, everyone talks about this year being all in, but they've been 
all in kind of since the beginning. I mean, if you remember his, in his second year, they traded for a keep to leave for Marcus Peters, you know, adding that kind of arsenal in the, in the backfield, they signed Robert Woods. They, they get, um, uh, Brandon cooks in a big trade for a first round pick out of new England. And Andrew then they're Whitworth. doing it now again, Andrew Whitworth, they sign, um, Sammy Watkins is the guy they signed. So they've, they've done this since McVay's been there. So it's not anything new this year, but this year I think with the change at quarterback is why it was such a big kind of now the national media is saying, okay, they're all in, they want to go do this. You talk about that three game stretch where things just weren't going well and everyone was kind of jumping off the bandwagon on them and saying, okay, no, this approach isn't going to work. They're not playing together as a team. They're doing this and that. And I think it was just kind of the perfect storm in those three weeks where they had new guys coming in and Von Miller and OBJ that, you know, you, you do need time to get acclimated. I know Von Miller just rushed to the passer, but I've talked about this, you know, in my podcast, how, you know, for his first 10 seasons, he's rushing next to the same guy in Denver. He's rushing next to Shelby Harris or, you know, Draymond Jones. Now, like he has the same pair of guy that he knows exactly what he's going to do on every rush move. So he knows it, if he's going to do a spin move, swim move, whatever it may be. Now he's rushing next to either Aaron Donald or great gangs who are phenomenal players, but it's, they take different approaches. So it's just getting comfortable in their skin, how they pass rush differently. So I think that was one thing. Sean McVay's offense is an extremely complex offense. I don't think it gets talked about enough in that regard. Everyone talks about, you know, him being a genius or whatnot or that, but it's a complex system. And you listen to Cooper Cup and Robert Woods talk, and you can see why they need smart players in that system. And so OBJ, it wasn't going to be a come in right off the bat and be a, a star player. And then Robert Woods goes down. So now he has to learn Robert Woods' role. So just kind of threw everything in the wind. So it was like a perfect storm in those three weeks while also playing three good teams. Um but to answer your question, I guess, in a, in a long, longer way, long-winded way, uh, I think this team is built for a Super Bowl run. And they've shown that the last two weeks, uh, you know, having a good blowout win against the Arizona Cardinals. And then that last night on Tuesday, having a, a solid, you know, wasn't a dominant performance as, par, as far as a scoreboard, 20 to 10 win over the Seahawks. But when you look at the yards, you look at what the offense did, you look at what the defense did. I mean, it was an overall dominant performance missing still 18 players on the COVID list. So mm-hmm. I think they're getting in their groove right now at the right time, similar to what Tampa did last year. It's all about in the NFL. It's all about who gets hot at the right time. And I think they're getting that rhythm, you know, heading into the last month of the season. Uh, the reason that I'm, I've been skeptical in part is that I've watched a lot of Matt Stafford play football and yes, uh, as, as talented as he is, and he's made some of the best throws I have ever seen in person, you know, just, fallen backwards, whatever, like all the Mahomes throws and everything else, like Stafford's been doing them for a really long time. But also when Stafford got grabbed by a Tennessee Titan player and whirled around and threw the ball right to the Titans for a pick six, Mm -hmm. it's like, I know that player as well. And when you trade away so much to bring him in and then you sort of anoint him like this is the guy that's going to take us to a different place, that just rings bells with me of like, well, we're moving on from Case Keenum to Kirk Cousins because he's going to take us someplace Mm -hmm. different than the previous quarterback could. And I think that with Stafford, some of it has been extremely impressive this year and certainly the deep stuff. I mean, he is dropping some incredible throws down the field, but there's also this other part of Stafford. And I think as they come into Minnesota, that's the part as the Vikings and as Mike Zimmer, where he's saying Mm -hmm. there will be big plays, there will be impressive throws, but there's always just that part of it. And I think that when you look at his time in Detroit, if you just say it was all Detroit's fault, like you're really ignoring a lot. Like you're, totally. you're ignoring, you're ignoring golden Tate, Kenny Galladay, 
uh, Marvin Jones were his receivers. He had proven offensive coordinators at different times. Um, and there were always hot stretches that made everyone go, wow, this guy's unbelievable. But then there were always those cold stretches too. So when they did go on that dip, and then here comes the injury report. Oh, Matt Stafford, he's playing through 14 different injuries. Like, I have seen this so many times. So I think that's where my skepticism comes from. It's not that, you know, the roster isn't good. Of, of course it is. It's a very talented roster. It's, is this going to be different? And I guess I'm still up in the air on that. It's been a roller coaster for this opinion because um, early in the season, I felt like, well, I guess I was wrong. I mean, I guess he's just going to dominate the league. And then it's kind of come back to earth. Yeah. And the, you know, the biggest thing with him specifically just talking with the Rams is, you know, how he adapts in the face of adversity. And when, when the Rams get down, it's almost like, like I've talked about this before, it's almost like he flips on this like hero ball mentality from his days in Detroit and is trying to do too much and, and making those throws when guys are wrapping him up and where, when they're up, he plays much more. Okay. You know, we're winning. I don't need to force things. And so it's, it's that progression throughout now 15 weeks is if he can bring that into the playoff mode. And if when, you know, the going gets tough and if they're down three or seven, live to fight another day instead of trying to force it. And we saw, you know, against Seattle on Tuesday, they were they were losing in the game early and he took two big sacks on third down. People weren't happy about it, but at the same time, those are good sacks to take instead of forcing a throw where all of a sudden you're looking at a pick six, like he threw three straight in those three losses. So for him, it's going to be that growth and that we've seen it a little bit. Um, but I agree with you, you know, it's a mixed bag and, you know, last night he becomes the the fastest player to ever throw 50,000 yards, but how much of that is, you know, a lot of people call that, you know, garbage time stats and stuff like that. And, and, uh, it's certainly valid in some regards. I do think he's a very talented player, but it's going to be time to prove it, you know, when it's actually, you know, showtime in the playoffs, uh, with the roster he has now, cause now there's no excuses. I mean, you used to have the adage of the Detroit lions. Now he doesn't have that. So it's time to put up or shut up for Matthew Stafford. I think he can do it, but I totally get the the mentality. And, and we'll see this week because Minnesota knows him better than anybody. No, yeah. And and the thing with uh, Stafford is it's not like he never won at all. I mean, he has, <laughs> you know, an 11-win season in there. He's got a couple of playoff appearances. It just seemed like it was always – there were years where, oh, the, you know, the Lions are a very competitive team and they're going down the stretch in the playoff run and then you hit this cold stretch – from Stafford or it's the injuries or whatever else sort of adds up and he just lets you down. But I think that what has bared out overall is that if you take someone who was even in an okay or average situation and maybe didn't have a good defense or maybe had, you know, whatever other cultural issues from uh, the organization, and then you put them in sort of the premier coach situation, the premier wide receiver situation. Uh, you have to tell me if the offensive line is good, but generally the Rams have had decent um, to very mm -hmm. good offensive lines. And then a defense that is all of a sudden getting hot as well. It's like the, the perfect storm for almost any quarterback can pump you up. And then you're talking about a guy who already has kind of a, a very high baseline of talent. And what I, what I can't decide now is like, are they a real contender for the Super Bowl? Or are they just, you know, hey, this worked for them to be better than they were last year? Or is it the real deal? And I guess when you look around the NFC, like, I mean, kind of anybody is who's in that race uh, mm -hmm. is sort of in that category. There's like those those five teams who have been there from the start and then everybody else is chasing from behind. Yeah, it's there's not truly one dominant team. Well, I guess Green Bay, we could call the most dominant uh, at this point and they have the most seasoned, you know, other than Tom Brady, obviously, uh, but the most, you know, 
seasoned quarterback in that regard. And Tampa is interesting too, because Tampa obviously, you know, defending champions, but they've had some bad losses and looking consistent and, and, you know, it, it, the NFC is wide open. It's fun to see. And it, it'll be interesting to see what the Rams do. Who's your, I'm curious, who's your like comp, like Matthew Stafford comp. If you, if you were to pick out a quarterback from history, cause I know a lot of people throw out like names and stuff. I have one that I kind of compared to, I think he's better, but I, one that I reminds me more, but who, who would be your comp? Hmm. That's a good question. So, because here, what's often happened, and I and I'm talking while I think, uh, what's often happened is just that uh, he gets compared to Kirk Cousins here, which would be really offensive from a, a skill set hmm. standpoint, because clearly yeah. Matt Stafford is an Adonis. I mean, just like this big giant guy with an unbelievable arm. Um, in his earlier days, was really mobile and, and things like that. And that's not Kirk. Like Kirk. Yeah. But when you look at their numbers and you look at their careers and their career arcs, there's just a lot of similarities there um, yeah. that they both they both take sort of inopportune sacks or inopportune interceptions or just have these shocking letdown games where you go, what happened there? Um, so <laughs> yeah. we've always we've always done that. Um, I, I wonder how about Carson Palmer for a comp to Matt Stafford? Yeah, I could see that. I'll give you one too. That if you want to think more, I don't know. I could be off base here, but I've kind of, I've looked over time and I saw him later in his career and kind of just the same thing where they have this great talent, but then they just they make those inopportune mistakes. And I see a guy like Jake Plummer. I don't know if you remember his days with Arizona yeah. and then in Denver. And obviously Matthew Stafford a better quarterback. So I'm not saying they're like that comparable. And obviously the stats are much better. Like. Stafford almost has double the passing yards now in his career. But, but when you just see that the arm talent, the mobility Jake Plummer had in his career and the times where he could wow you, but then the times where you're going, what, what, what was that? <laughs> so I don't know, kind of comparable. And if Stafford needs, if Stafford's going to win a Super Bowl, he needs to get past that Jake Plummer comp and be closer to that John Elway that some people have been putting him with. Hey everybody, Minnesota football is in full swing and there is no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet for Minnesota football tickets because TickPick, that is T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site. It's the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for football tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which allows them to guarantee the best prices on all of your tickets. Don't believe it if you can find better prices on the same seats on another site. TickPick will give you 110% of the difference. Now, we've had lots of exciting games at U.S. Bank Stadium this year. There are still more to go, including Los Angeles coming here. It's always interesting when Chicago comes to town. So you're going to want to go to TickPick.com and check it out. And make sure it's TickPick.com slash insider because you can save $10 on your first order for Minnesota tickets. That's TickPick.com slash insider. Yeah, no, uh, John, no, yeah, not John Elway. He's definitely. Oh, I'm like, not. Uh, I'm yeah, definitely. No, not. no, I know, I know. You're not saying yeah. that. But if he, if people are making a John Elway comp, then you're out of your skull. But uh, yeah, I mean those those teams that John Elway was able to take to the Super Bowl for early Denver teams were just unimpressive. Like, go back and look. Yeah. The rosters are not that good. The coaching isn't that special. It isn't until the end of his career he finally gets with. Uh, you know, the Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan, Terrell Davis, great offensive line. And then the dude wins back-to-back Super Bowls at, as, yeah. at an old age. So that's how great he was. I think that's different with what made me think of Carson Palmer was just kind of the big arm, the draft mm -hmm. status, the journey, yep. 
the fact that the guy was always willing to chuck it. And a lot of times it wouldn't go his way because of that, like led the league in yeah. interceptions at times. Uh, but when everything came together for Carson Palmer in 2015 with a great Cardinals team, they went 13 and three. And yep. that's kind of what's happening here with Stafford where, you know, Carson Palmer had those years in Oakland that weren't that good. And even, um, you know, in Cincinnati at the end, it was, it was kind mm-hmm. of ugly with him in the organization, which feels that way with Detroit. I remember his uh, wife was Instagramming something about like, please trade us at the end of the time in Detroit. Yeah. And then he, and then he goes out to, um, you know, Arizona and sort of changes the narrative on his career uh, when he got to Arizona. And I think that that's sort of the opportunity that Stafford has. Um, but you know, I, I think that the plumber one is, is a pretty good comp because of what you said that the guy actually needs, when you have this big arm and great athleticism, coaches want to be like, let's just let him throw it all over the yard. Warren moon, baby, light it up. Yep. (laughs) But what he probably, what he probably needs is jet motions, play actions, some bootlegs, things like that. But I have noticed watching it's not the Jared Goff offense. So tell me how much different it is because Jared Goff, like everything was a boot pretty much, unless he mm-hmm. had to be in the shotgun and then he wasn't good in the shotgun. So t- tell me how different it is between Stafford's offense and Goff's offense. Well, I think man, that's what's been frustrating for Rams fans is Jared Goff and Matt, uh, Sean McVay ran this high play action, 11 personnel style offense that forced kind of Jared to be a little more mobile than maybe he should have been. There was one season where he was second in rollouts behind only Lamar Jackson. Like when Jared Goff is second behind Lamar Jackson, or maybe he was third, just Deshaun Watson was maybe second, but behind those two guys, that probably shouldn't happen for a guy like Jared Goff. And so then you get a guy like Matthew Stafford. It's like, okay, here's a guy that can actually run what Sean McVay wants to do, can run play action to a T. Goff has a very talented arm, I think, but Stafford obviously has a better arm, so he can make those deep throws uh, more efficiently. Uh, and then they kind of change it up a little bit, and they, you know, they still are doing a lot of the eleven personnel. They were doing more twelve personnel before they lost, you know, three of their tight ends to injury. Um, so they're they're not doing that nearly as much anymore. But the bootleg has almost disappeared. But then some games he'll bring it back, and it it works. So it, it's really a a good question that I don't have a great answer for because it's not that they've totally changed the offense they just kind of abandoned what they did last year and then just wrinkle it in here and there and part of that too is Robert Woods going down a lot of the jet sweeps have been a lot less because Robert Woods that was his big thing now they're getting Van Jefferson more involved in that um, in the past few weeks he had one against Seattle so I think we're going to start seeing that play action that boot a lot more down the stretch but like you kind of said just a minute ago when coaches get these big shiny big arm quarterbacks, they almost like forget themselves what they're good at and they want to just go show it off. And we saw in week one against Chicago, the two 50 yard plus bombs for touchdowns, one to cup, one to Jefferson. And the league was like, Whoa, here we go. And I think McVay said, Whoa, here we go. We're doing this on every play. And then after a while, it just stopped working. And then when they ran to a team like the Titans, they could just punch you in the mouth or a team like the Niners, they could punch you in the mouth and the big plays weren't working. Um, it, it really reared its ugly head. And so they've actually gotten back to that a little better now against Arizona and against Seattle. So again, long with the answer, but I think they're going to, we're going to start seeing that Jerry got offense more. I think it was more just McVay kind of trying to show things off and, and, show that he's not just this 
play action coach. He can do different things, but it's like, well, that's what made you famous. That's what made you Sean McVay and every coach that you shake hands with gets a job because of what you did. And I think now they'll start getting back to that a little bit. Well, in this offense, it helps quarterbacks. It just does. Yeah. And why, like, why wouldn't you want to help your quarterback who's even more talented? And that's sort of the John Elway thing of that Denver mm-hmm. back in the day sort of rested everything on John Elway's arm. And then, you know, eventually they're like, well, he's kind of older, so let's help him. And then as soon as they did, <laughs> it, it just took off. And uh, this yeah. is an interesting stat here about Stafford. He's only getting play action on 24% of his dropbacks, which is 21st in the league. This is PFF. Yeah but he's number one in yards per attempt when using play action, 10.4 yards per attempt. So the the dude is having wild success doing it. Mm -hmm. It's almost like this adaptation of, Oh, let's have him out of the shotgun more often. Like that's not really what should be happening with Matt Stafford. I mean, you should sort of, if you run the same offense as Jared Goff, he'll probably have more success, which overall, I mean, look, he has It's 35 touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Like it's been a good year um, for Stafford overall, but that is sort of curious about how that works. And I was going to ask you, Robert Woods, uh, is one of my favorite players in the entire NFL to watch because mm-hmm. when the Vikings had their tight end go down, Irv Smith, I did a piece looking at LA's offense and how they use three wide receivers. And so my takeaway, and I talked to a couple of Rams people uh, who cover the team and, you know, whatever X's and O's analyst people for it. My big takeaway was you can only really do this if you have Robert Woods. I mean, yeah. just like a tight end in a wide receiver's body can do absolutely anything, can run over people, can go deep, can uh, block the best hands down, the best blocking receiver in the league, losing him. I kind of thought might be a death blow, but then here comes Odell Beckham. So what, what has that transition been like with Robert Woods being so vital to now going to Odell Beckham and trying to fit him in this offense? Yeah. Well, it was a huge loss, uh, probably outside of Stafford and then cup who I'll get to in a second, probably the biggest loss on offense is Robert Woods. including everyone on the offensive line, all the running backs, tight ends. That's how important Woods is in the locker room, uh, in his playmaking ability. But like you mentioned, in his blocking, he's just that good and that important to their zone running scheme. And and so the transition at first was not good. I mean, they, they lost him and they lost two straight games after losing him. Um, and part of that was, A, Odell Beckham Jr., he's never really had to do that as a receiver in this league. He's been the, hey, go make a play for us. We're not going to... We're not going to make you block. Not saying you can't do it, but he just never really has needed to. Um, but then B, Cooper Cup is also a very good blocker. I don't think he gets enough credit for that, but he was kind of the, the secondary role blocker. Like if they needed a crack block inside or something, it was going to be Woods and they'd have Coop on the other side. Now they've transitioned Cup into that solid blocking role. So again, I keep referring to Tuesday, but it's just because it was the last game they played. There was a lot of big runs for Sony Michelle where Cup was the one sealing the outside, sealing the inside, containing, doing that. So he's kind of transitioned more into that Woods role in terms of the running game. And then OBJ has kind of taken on the Cooper Cup role in a sense of being the other blocker. So he is learning more, getting more involved in it. Um, but they're not saying, hey, you've never done this. Now you got to become the best block receiving blocker on our team because that would just be silly. Um, but he's he's done, I think, well in now, what is it, four weeks he's been with the team. He's definitely gotten better. And then he's also getting more involved in the passing game, which certainly helps because he is still a talented receiver. I mean, people forgot how good he truly can be. Um, but yeah, losing Woods is huge. But I think now that it's been three or four weeks, they're starting to kind of stop the bleeding and, and they're able to adjust uh, appropriately. But they'll never be as good as they were with him. Uh, it's just a matter of now trying to you know, be as good as they can be without him. With Beckham, when he came to Minnesota with the Browns, he was wide open Mm -hmm. about five times and just Baker Mayfield missed him. 
And you can <laughs> yeah. see that there's still route running and explosiveness there. It's not that he can't play anymore. And I think that if the Vikings have as much trouble covering him as they did in that game, which again is hilarious that it, it went down in the box score as he had maybe one or two catches or something. It's like he was wide open on at least three different mm-hmm. plays that could have been long touchdowns. And Baker Mayfield just didn't have it that day as he was that the, does not. Was that the game his dad made the video? Or I can't even remember what the video it, was. Yeah, it wasn't. It was a few weeks later, but that okay. probably that probably got it his probably dad sparked pretty it. irritated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I mean Beckham, uh, I kind of make this comparison. You you're making comparisons, so I like this. We should just we should keep doing this. Uh to Andre to Andre Risen. Because Andre mm. Risen was known as being very volatile, but was a big superstar in his career yeah. in Atlanta. And then he has this secondary career with some winning teams that you totally forgot he played with, but he actually was a pretty good contributor to like the Packers that won the Super Bowl, I think, mm-hmm. to Kansas City later on. I think that's kind of like Odell Beckham, where he's never going to be the superstar face of the league receiver again. But that doesn't mean you could just forget to cover him because he could yeah. still make big plays. Well, I think he's he's um embraced that coming to LA now. And again, it's only been four weeks, so things can change, but I, I was, I was big on it when they brought him. Cause a, it was a, it was a free agent signing. It's not like people talk like, Oh, is it going to blow up in their face? It's like, well, they didn't trade for him. Like they just signed him for a million bucks and then they can get him for half a season and move on if it doesn't work. Or it wasn't like this huge big deal. Um, but I think he's embraced being that, would have been the third role with Woods here, but now with Woods gone, he's kind of taken that second role. But I think he's kind of learned through his career that, you know, maybe he's not meant to be in that spotlight where everyone's, you know, expecting him to be this Uber guy that takes over games. Cause now you have Cooper cup that, you know, just broke Isaac Bruce's record uh, from 1995 of most reception in a season. And then, Beckham can go and just have his six receptions, be a contributor and, uh, and be a good locker room guy. And he's kind of taken uh, Van Jefferson under his wing a little bit as well while being here. So I think he's just at his point in his career, again, four weeks into being here, things could change, but where he's kind of learned from some of those mistakes, embraced it. And I think the Andre Risen is a great comparison because he can go on and, you know, have great seasons, especially if he stays near LA. I mean, secondary third receivers in this system still go for six to 600 to a thousand yards. So I mean, still pro bowl type seasons for a receiver, but he doesn't have to be the spotlight, which is great. All right. Make an Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey comparison. How can you explain their excellence? Uh, I mean, Jalen Ramsey, I've, not going too far back. You almost just have to go Daryl Revis, right? Cause you know, Revis Island, just the way he was able to shut down. I think Jalen Ramsey is probably a little more physical. Um, you know, he can, he more smash mouth if he were tackling, not that Revis wasn't a great tackler, but almost a little more finesse, but just the way he's able to shut down guys. I mean, against, again, going back to the Seattle game, but just cause it was so recent, it's always fun covering that game. Cause the DK Metcalf, Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey rivalry that's now begun since uh, Metcalf's been in the league and Ramsey's, shut him down every single performance he had two receptions for 15 yards when Ramsey was on him uh, in that game. And he ended up, I think finishing with like six for 51, but those other four were against other corners. So um, he just, he takes your biggest guy and, and shuts him down. And it, you know, so that's what Revis was Revis Island, Aaron Donald. I don't know if there is a guy you can comp to. I mean, I mean, if you want to stick with the Rams, Deacon Jones, maybe just because of how, how dominant Deacon Jones was, you know, creating the sack stat with what he did, or you could maybe go Merlin Olson. who was actually a true D tackle. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't compare Reggie white because Reggie white was an end guy and, and, and Donald's in the middle. Um, Julius Randall, a great Viking, I think, but I mean, he was, was he, he was a tackle, wasn't he? So maybe Randall's a good cop. I don't know. 
That's uh, John Randall, by the way. John Randall, your, sorry. Your, yes. your Minnesota card just got taken. But uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, the eye black. I'll just stick with that. The eye that black. Isn't, uh, isn't there a basketball player? Isn't that the basketball player, Julius Randall? Um, anyway, so. I, I probably blended too, yeah. John, John, yeah. No, that's actually who Andre Patterson, the Vikings co-defensive coordinator, compared Aaron Donald to was John Randall because he's okay. so undersized that people questioned him. Now, John mm-hmm. Randall is actually smaller than Aaron Donald. I have yeah. been in the same room as John Randall a few times and I can't believe it's John Randall. Like you're like, wait, <laughs> this is the most dominant defensive tackle. Like no yeah. way. Uh, because when you see usually former football players, like Steve Hutchinson was here when he's, you know, doing the ring of honor thing, you're like, uh, yeah, that man lost some weight, but he played some football with John Randall. Yeah. Like, is this, what is this regular man doing here? Um, it's not quite <laughs> that way with Aaron Donald. But yeah. the undersized thing, the incredible motor, the skill set, the quickness, the the multitude of moves, and just the sheer dominance. I mean, I think that's really what it is. I think Reggie White, though, is fair because it's the unquestioned part of it. You're like, mm-hmm. it was Lawrence Taylor, and then it was Reggie White, and those are mm-hmm. the guys, and everybody else is after them. And that's the way it feels with Aaron Donald from this era where JJ Watt had a run of a couple of years, but then he couldn't really stay healthy. But Donald has Mm -hmm. done it for so long that any given year he could have won defensive MVP. And I will tell you the truth, Ryan, I have no idea how the Minnesota Vikings will even begin to stop Aaron Donald (laughs) from ruining this football game. I really don't. I mean, now he did it to them in 2018 and they scored 31 points. So it's not impossible to score points when Aaron Donald is on the field. But after what Akeem Hicks just did to them, I, I just I, there is no answer for this man. Yeah, no, I, I was at that game in 2018 at the at the Coliseum out here in LA. It was a great, great game. Um, yeah, he's a guy that you can game plan for, but there's really, especially now that they've added, you know, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, and Greg Gaines is playing some of the best D tackle football in the league right now. That's not really getting talked about nationally. So it's, it'd be one thing if it was him and then a bunch of scrubs, cause then you just triple or quadruple team them. But I mean, you have to count for the other guys too. So you have to stick to a double team and that's just not enough. So, you know, he is, he's fun to watch. I mean, there's really not a lot of words to describe it. You just see some of the things he does, not just in rushing the quarterback, but in the, in the run game as well. And how he's able to plug holes, like, just within split second, all of a sudden there's a hole and all of a sudden there's Donald and it's tackle for a loss. So he's, he's special in any game. What's, what's fun about him, Matthew too, to watch is there'll be games where two, two quarters go by and you don't hear his name is all, you know, he's, you know, you see him out there, but like he's on the stat sheet, you don't hear him. And then all of a sudden three plays in a row, he's being disruptive and, t- and takes the game over and just like that. And then it's like the rest of the game, he is a force to be reckoned with. So any single Sunday, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever game they're playing, it's just a matter of time before he gets gets going, and then it's you can't stop him. Folks, have you ever thought about taking a bike to work but figure it's too far or that the hills are too steep? Or heck, who wants to show up to work covered in sweat? Well, that's why you need to check out the electric cruiser bike from my friends at Boogie Bikes. The Boogie Bike gives you all the experience of saving gas, getting outside, and feeling the wind through your hair. Say if you have a haircut like that Green Bay quarterback. Uh, But you don't have to be an Olympic cyclist in order to get all those benefits. The Boogie Bike has a strong yet quiet motor, sensitive pedal assist, and a very comfortable seat for you to cruise along 
strong for miles and miles. Don't settle for a low quality bike. The Boogie Bike is built in Wisconsin using its highest quality parts from around the world. And honestly, it looks cool and goes fast. Go to boogiebikes.com, get yourself an electric bike today and use the promo code SKOL, S-K-O-L, to get $250 off your purchase and a nice basket as well. By the way, there is no risk within the first 15 days. You can try a boogie bike and boogie bikes have an industry leading five-year warranty as well. Again, go to boogiebikes.com. Check them out today. Yeah, and the Vikings, as we're recording this, Mason Cole, their starting right guard, didn't practice. Uh, Ole Udo has been not so great at right guard. Uh, They activated Dakota Dozier, which uh, was a huge problem. Anytime he was on the field against just about anybody and Wyatt Davis is just a complete non-factor for the Vikings as a rookie. Not that you want a rookie to face him anyway, but um, the right guard situation is really up in the air. And so I could imagine that just over that a gap between Garrett Bradbury and whoever is at right guard is where Aaron Donald is going to live the entire day uh, against the Vikings. And I don't, they have no answer. There is no response there. They're just going to have to work around it. Um, one last thing for you, Ryan, I appreciate all, all your time, man, is uh, just if, if the Rams lose this game, just give, give me the two things, the perspective on this, like would this, would you look at this as being like a, a crushing loss for them or just like, well, you know, that's how it goes. Or, uh, and the other question is just like, how would it have to happen? Because I think that I have this vision of how it could happen, but I also think the Rams are not a good matchup for the Vikings with their receivers, especially in the Vikings corners. And they should, they should roll offensively and it pretty much has to be a shootout for the Vikings. But I guess uh, give me the perspective on that. Yeah. You know, I, I view things differently. I know the fan base will be thinking it's end of the world, you know, blow it up next year. Coach is on the hot seat. Cause you know, every, every week is a roller coaster with this Rams fan base. It's fun. Um, and that's what, you know, that's what you expect when you go all in like this, you expect to dominate teams every week. So, um, but I, I, and I'm not just saying this cause I'm on your show, but I truly believe this Vikings team is a good team. It just, it's Jekyll and Hyde. Which team are you getting? Are you getting the team that beat the chargers that looked like a pretty solid fundamental football team? Um, that was able to exploit the Chargers' weaknesses in the secondary with their injuries? Or is it a team that, I know they won against the Bears, but the offense was just so stagnant and couldn't do much, and they're not going to be able to do that against a Rams team that has a much better offense and a quarterback that can actually score in the red zone. So um, it's just very confusing. So your first question, if they were to lose, it'd be disappointing. It's a game that they absolutely should win they absolutely need to win being only a game back like if they win and the cardinals lose they are now in the leader of the division they're also in the potential lead for the conference to get a first round buy so it's a it's a win that they need to have in that regard but it's not one of those where i'm like okay pack it in they're not winning because you know it's a week-to-week league and i do think this minnesota team is a potential playoff team so i wouldn't think the sky is falling like many would uh how you beat this team right that was the second part or how it unfolds if you do that is if they can so the thing too that we didn't even get into that the, the Rams have found success now in this this two game winning streak since those those three losses is they finally established the run again and that's with Sony Michelle breaking out as the Rams running back you know Daryl Henderson was always seen as the starter I was always against it but he was the unquestioned starter according to Sean McVay they traded for Sony Michelle it was still Daryl Henderson he gets hurt Jake Funts hurt. They have literally no one else but Michelle, and he gets the ball 20-plus times in back-to-back games and dominates 
in between the the tackles and it brings smash mouth football back to this offense, which then allows Matthew Stafford to do the play action, opens things up for the deep ball. So it all, in reality, we talked about Matthew Stafford a lot, but this offense success right now is running through Sony Michelle. So if the Vikings and your great linebackers, you know, some UCLA products mm-hmm. and Anthony Barr and, and those guys there, if they can shut down Sony Michelle and make this team one dimensional and force Stafford to throw 35 times, like he did most times against the Vikings when he was in Detroit, then it's a very winnable game for the Vikings. So I would say a lot of other factors we get into, but just the biggest one right there, if they if they shut down Sonny Michelle, then this could be a very interesting game, and we could see Stafford maybe force some mistakes, unfortunately. Yeah, and on the defensive side, uh, for the Rams, it's pretty much, can you avoid having Aaron Donald destroy you? Can you find ways to get Justin Jefferson away from Jalen Ramsey? Because I think that mm-hmm. if there's one guy who can actually slow down Justin Jefferson, maybe in the entire league, it's Jalen Ramsey. And could someone else step up? I mean, that's really, yeah. that's really, I think, what it comes down to. Can somebody else have a big game? Because it's pretty much if Jefferson's not doing it and Thielen is out or Thielen is slowed, then kind of nobody is. And that's what we saw against Chicago. It's like, Cousins is going to lock on to Jefferson as he should, and he's told to do. But if he's not getting open in the same way, uh, it could be a struggle. So I, I think it's a great matchup for, mm-hmm. hey, this matters. This has a playoff feel to it. It's right after Christmas. It kind of has this extra little energy. So I'm really uh, excited about this game, Ryan. And I'm, and I'm glad that you could come on. I know that you're visiting family and you said, sure, I'll come on your show still, even though you're you're kind of vacationing there. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time out, man. And uh, and thanks for doing this. No, man, you're one of my one of my favorite people. So thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Um, love your show and should be a great game. So um, we'll talk soon, though. Appreciate it. I, I, yeah. And, uh, people can follow you by the way at L a F B network, uh, on Twitter, LA football network is what you do. And it's, uh, it's, it's great stuff, man. So, uh, anyway, well, thanks again. And we will talk to y'all later on purple insider.